from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Welcome to a happy fresh Friday. This is the G and Ursula show. G is out today. Mike Lewis is in. Thank you so much again for stepping in. Always happy to be here. Uh, We have another very packed hour for you. Coming up, should the government be able to force you to sell your home to build an improved stadium? That may be happening in one location. We're going to get into that. And then also, we're hearing that there could be the first In-N-Out burger in our state. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> I grew up uh, in California, so uh, so you've got some strong opinions I've about this. I've got some strong opinions about it. I do burgers. too. Okay, text us our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line 888-973-5476-888-973 Cairo. What's new at 10? But before we get to all that, it is our Friday time to talk to our friend Michael Medved, who joins us on the GN Ursula show. Good morning, Michael. Hey, good morning, Ursula, and good morning, Mike. So love it when you join us. And we're going to start local today because, uh, as you know, ballots for our March 12th primary have already been mailed out. Uh, Actually, some of our listeners, Michael, have already filled them out. They've texted or emailed me, and they are complaining that they have to choose one party and make that choice known on the outside of the ballot envelope, either identifying as either Republican or Democrat uh, to be able to take part and some people are just refusing. What do you what do you think of all that? I, I think they're right. I mean, I think it's uh, uh, badly done, and it it to have your ballot marked on the outside uh, where you make a declaration. Uh, I am affiliated with the Republican Party, or I am affiliated with the Democratic Party. There are a lot of people out there right now who really do prefer to think of themselves as independents. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can't decide, okay, I'm going to participate in the Republican Party, if they simply said that, or I'm going to participate in the Democratic Party, I um, I went ahead and uh, marked my ballot as a Republican, because I still consider myself a Republican, and then went ahead and I voted, just for the record, for Nikki Haley. Now, do I think she's going to win the nomination for president? I don't. But I think showing some kind of opposition to Donald Trump and to Donald Trump as a representative of the Republican Party was worth doing. Michael, I I think you raise a really good point. In fact, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine about this whole thing, because there is some some move afoot, movement afoot, which I'm sure you've heard about, about Democrats in open primaries, Democrats. Uh, voting for Nikki Haley just to just as sort of this thing to boost her numbers uh, in the state. And, you know, what to the extent that that matters at this point, it's probably all done deal. But there's a but the idea that you have to then check the outside of the envelope. And on top of that, <laughs> this is what my friends was complaining about. Your letter carrier, you know, is going to like, in other words, if you pin it to the your door or whatever, your letter carrier is going to now, you're just like you're announcing your polit- political affiliation to your letter carrier. Like that was actually an impediment. I on the, I don't understand what is the rationale of making that on the outside. Is it easier from a, that. from a sorting standpoint? Do we know? I have no idea what the it idea is. It seems very odd. It's just, it's just so, in other words, it, it would be em- embarrassing and inappropriate to mark on the outside of the envelope which candidate you're voting for. Right. But it, it should also be uh, 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 uncomfortable 
and not required to mention which party you're voting in. Because, again, particularly in this state where you have the the jungle primaries, I mean, I, I think that the reason that they're doing it this way is because with the presidential primary, which is all that this election is, uh, you the uh, two parties are counting the votes separately. In other words, uh, as we know, you, we've had the situation statewide where the two winners of primary elections who were selected for the general election are both from the same party. We've had a lot of them where there have been two Democrats. We even had a race for state treasurer, if you may remember where both of the candidates who cleared mm-hmm. the primary were Republicans because there were so many different Democrats. By the way, they're, they're having a, a, a situation like that in California right now, where California is an overwhelmingly Democratic state, but because there are so many different Democrats running for the U.S. for the seat given up by the late Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, they are going to have Steve Garvey, the former uh, all-star first baseman for the L.A. Dodgers is going to clear the primary uh, with uh, about 20 percent of the vote mm. because there are th- three major Democrats running against him. That's crazy. OK, I- I'm, I'm trying to get uh, the best explanation that I can see as to why this happens here <laughs> in the state of Washington, though. So Secretary of State Steve Hobbs, who is in charge of elections, says that Washington is required by law to hold a partisan primary. The parties will use those results to choose the delegates to their national conventions. I guess I still don't understand the why it has to be on the outside of the envelope, which is what a lot of people are objecting to. It's also it's also uh, the wording of the declaration. I don't have it in front of me, but it says something like I identify with the Republican Party. It shouldn't say that. It say I uh, am voting in the Republican primary because or I am voting in the Democratic primary because someone may want to vote in the Democratic primary because they I don't know, maybe they want to vote for Marianne Williamson, who has just declared herself back in the race. She oh, I missed that. She's back in. I'm back the in. Perennial. That's right. She, ooh, she got some uh, uh, crystals to uh, <laughs> encourage her to return to the presidential race. She actually finished third in the uh, primary in Michigan earlier this week. Uh, she finished ahead of Dean Phillips, who is still running the congressman from Minnesota. It's look. This whole process is very depressing to me because it's yielding us a choice between uh, Trump and Biden. And I, I, there's I don't know anyone who's excited about that. Mm. I mean, really, it's it's just is, is this really the best we can do? Well, here's my question then, uh, because you said you voted for Nikki Haley. Why isn't Nikki Haley doing better? Uh, basically because the people who identify as Republicans, and especially uh, in states where it's not easy for independents to vote in a given primary. By the way, I, I think if they if they handled this primary in Washington right, Ms. Nikki Haley would have more of a chance because it would be possible for people without filling in that box that says, I declare, I am beating my chest and saying, yep, I'm a Republican. Unless you say that, if you wanted to describe yourself as an independent, you can't vote in the primary. 
Right. And so, Michael, let's switching tracks slightly. Uh, tell us what you think about uh, Mitch McConnell, Senator Mitch McConnell's announcement that he is stepping aside uh, as Senate uh, Republican leader. It's scary. <laughs> and the reason it's scary is because there's a chance that Trump will be elected president. And there's a chance that he will have somebody who is a toady, uh, who is completely subject to Trump's influence as the new Senate majority leader. It's very likely Republicans are going to take over the U.S. Senate, partially because Joe Manchin isn't running. There are states like West Virginia and Montana, uh, even Ohio, uh, even Maryland, Nevada. The, the Republicans are likely to gain the two Senate seats that they need to take control. And Mitch McConnell had the great virtue of standing up to Trump. He was not a one of those people who Trump could snap his fingers and Mitch McConnell would say, how high do you want me to jump? I mean, at age 82, maybe he's not jumping at all. Right. But uh, I, I do think he will be missed and will be missed by moderates and liberals more than they realize once he is gone and replaced. And who is the likely replacement in your mind? The likely replacement is one of the three Johns. It's John Thune of South Dakota, uh, John Barrasso uh, of Wyoming, and uh, John Cornyn of Texas. And uh, I, I think it's it, it may actually go to John Cornyn, who's a former justice of the Texas Supreme Court. Um, and none of these people uh, are pragmatic and experienced in actually dealing with the other side. Uh, and uh, it's one of the reasons that when you hear from people like Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin and other Democratic leaders in the Senate, they will praise Mitch McConnell to the skies because He's actually somebody who, uh, during 40 years in the U.S. Senate, learned how to uh, work across party lines. And I think that's something that is needed and that we will miss a great deal in the Senate. Michael, I'm going to talk about uh, the Supreme Court because we've read that Justice Clarence Thomas is now going to help decide whether the former president, Donald Trump, has immunity for a coup that his wife helped plan and actually attended. And Justice Thomas, as you probably know, was the only justice to try to block the release of January 6th records to the January 6th commission. It screams to me of conflict of interest, but it sounds like he's not planning to recuse himself. What are your thoughts? Well, there's nothing much that you can do about it. I mean, you can uh, argue the other and way. That's the problem. As a as a member of the Supreme Court, but uh, look, uh, no one, no one is thinking seriously. We have impeachment fever. I mean, the idea of, of people trying to impeach Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, people trying to pe impeach President Biden. Uh, now, if uh, Democrats take off trying to impeach Clarence Thomas, it's not going to work. It's not what we need. Uh, I, I, what I do find very disturbing is the fact that there's no sense of appropriate urgency by the Supreme Court to hearing this case. And in fact, I'm very surprised that they didn't just let the case stand that the appellate court in Washington, D.C. 
had uh, adjudicated very clearly. It was a powerful, strong, unanimous decision. They could have just let it stand, but they didn't. They're going to give it all reconsideration. And it's reconsideration of a very dangerous case, uh, granting uh, President Trump or any president this wide-ranging immunity from prosecution. It's sort of like the uh, the statement that Trump made during the campaign of 2016 is I could shoot somebody in the head on Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't cost me any votes. Uh, well, now he's trying with this lawsuit to make that come true. I still don't believe a majority of the Supreme Court is going to agree with Trump in granting that sweeping immunity. But the fact that it's going to take so long and that we're not going to get to the trial, the most important trial, which is the trial about Trump uh, trying to undo the results of a legitimate election. That trial now won't be held perhaps until September or October, uh, which is after he is officially nominated for president of the United States. And uh, the, the lack of urgency is what bothers me most about it. What So what would have been better is to either come to a quick decision so these other trials can move ahead, or would it have been better to just, well, you said you're surprised they didn't grant a stay. It, it's They were under some no, pressure to make, not, to make it. It's not even to grant a stay. They, all, all they needed to do is to well, decline to hear the case. Fair enough, right. It's already settled. And it had been settled by the appellate court, which is that one little notch below the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, there were uh, uh, Democratic appointees and a Republican appointee who all held the same point of view, which is this is ridiculous. It's outrageous that the president is claiming sweeping immunity for what he did. Uh, during one of the most decisive and important days of his presidency, which was January 6th. Uh, 2021. And uh, the, the fact that uh, uh, Trump, Trump is claiming, well, he should be immune from any consequences for what he did as president, other than just being voted against, uh, it, it is an outrageous notion. And most people, and this includes very prominent conservative uh, jurists and thinkers like uh, Michael Luddig, who was often considered as a candidate for the Supreme Court. Uh, and uh, uh, Judge Luddig has said again and again that this is a very, very important case, and the court is headed in the wrong direction. Okay, Michael, I'm going to switch gears entirely because we only have less than two minutes. And uh, I, I was complaining about how cold it is right now in studio. It's finally warmed up. But if we were to pick something to watch movie-wise, and you are a movie expert, what is your recommendation for right now? What what would you pick? Well, uh, I did p elected not to see Dune, which is, of course, the big movie that's being released, partially because the first one I thought was mediocre. And this new one is so long. It's a, uh, 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 one of those big cinematic epics, and I'm sure the special effects are great, but I haven't seen it. The film that I have seen uh, that is terrific has a local interest in it because it stars Hillary Swank, who uh, is from Bellingham. Bellingham, right. Yeah. 
Okay, and, and what's that she, movie? She's a double Oscar winner, and the movie is called Ordinary Angels. And it tells this amazing and inspiring true story about a really hard luck family uh, where the mom has died. And now uh, the little girl, the younger daughter, who's five years old, is desperately ill and needs a liver transplant. Mm. And uh, Hilary Swank plays a hairdresser who has a drinking problem. I mean, this sounds like soap opera, and it is. It's real-life soap opera. And she drops everything to try to work to save the life of this little girl who needs a liver transplant. Wow. It's And it's unbelievably touching. Uh, and I wouldn't dare think of uh, spoiling the ending. Okay. But it is, it is an uplifting, beautifully acted film. And uh, I, I can't imagine anybody... Uh, seeing it without being okay, you you might say, "Oh, this is kind of corny and it tugs." Oh, I love emotions. those. I love those movies. And it, if it's a feel-good movie, it says it celebrates the power of a community rallying together. Sounds like my kind of movie. Well, a- again, this does that. Uh, the, the people who made this movie made before the uh, movie called Jesus Revolution about people becoming what were called at the time Jesus freaks in the 1970s. Uh, This is another, again, it's a true story that occurred in the 1990s. And what's fascinating is the survivors of that story, the people who lived through it, have all endorsed the movie. They love it because it's true to their experience. Michael Medved, thank you so much for your time. As always, we appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week. I look forward to it always and uh, have a happy March. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Okay, still ahead, we need to talk about it. In-N-Out Burger coming to Washington, possibly. A lot of people are excited about that. And then we're going to talk about eminent domain and this big project up in Everett and whether you think it's... A good use of that. Yes, displacing tactic. some businesses for a bigger business. <laughs> exactly. Okay, this is the G and Ursula Show with Mike Lewis. This hour of the G and Ursula show is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Friday to all of you. As always, we invite you to join us on our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, cairo Or if you don't do texts, but you want to weigh in on this next segment, you can also do so on our G and Ursula Show Facebook page. And the question is... Um, eminent domain and whether it's appropriately used in this particular case, if this, in fact, is what happens. So some businesses in Everett could end up being displaced to build a new stadium for the Aqua Sox. Everett has been looking into options for the future of Funko Field after Major League Baseball issued a mandate for minor league stadium upgrades. So if this renovation doesn't happen, the city is going to likely lose the team. So, of course, there's a lot of pressure. And Seventh Inning Stretch, which is the company that owns the Aqua Sox is going to be fined every season until the field aligns with the new MLB standards. So 
Everett may buy land in their downtown area to build this new stadium and use eminent domain to push out a number of local businesses, including this creative agency owned by Eason Lamos. You're talking probably 20 to 30 businesses that could be potentially displaced. They'd be screwed. Scott Patterson is the special projects manager with the city of Everett, and he tells Cairo 7 TV this option that forces businesses out. Yes, it in fact is a possibility. That could happen. That could happen. So your thoughts, Mike? Well, it's this one. This one is is on the specifics complicated, and there's a lot of moving parts. But on the overall, uh, I think it's pretty clear. I'm not a fan of publicly financed stadiums. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Unless it's for unless it's part of the public finances, part of a school or something along those lines. Fair enough. I didn't li- I didn't support all of the stadium building here in Seattle that was publicly financed. I don't think I think if you're publicly financing a park that all of us can use, fantastic. If you are publicly financing, you know, mass transit that benefits both drivers on the road as well as people who use mass transit, awesome. If you're publicly financing a stadium that you have to pay a ticket to go to, that is for a privately owned enterprise, that is a for-profit enterprise, I don't get it. I don't mind cutting them a tax break. I don't mind giving them, like, making it easier, uh, streamlining the permitting process, all the stuff you need to do to big businesses. I mean, for those of you who don't know, Amazon essentially had, during its building boom, its own floor in the planning department in Seattle City. Okay, which... Literally, like, concierge service, you know, palm leaves, (laughs) you know, they're being fed grapes, all of that sort of stuff, so they could get their permits through quickly. I mean, in all seriousness, they were building, it was a historic build rate. Gross. So, but but the point is that I understand all of that. I understand that that actually moves stuff through. I do not like. You know what the city didn't do for Amazon? The city did not pay for Amazon's buildings. Amazon did, and I don't think that the city Major League Baseball is a multi-billion-dollar business that has. Setting aside the fact that they won't even reveal apparently the, what the standards are that they that the city needs to meet, like so, why even are, if, the, if even if the public though benefits, for example, like. I'm okay with a public-private partnership if the 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 if we also Where's stand the, to benefit. All right, so so you and I are in a partnership, and you want a new house. Yes, and that partnership requires me to buy you that new house. Now, <laughs> I get it; that's a partnership, but it doesn't feel so <laughs> it doesn't even feel to me. So even, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you may have some benefits that flow from that. You'll have extra money in the future, like this and that, like the the spurious yes. economic math that goes on on stadium benefit. We've talked about that endlessly. And maybe it is a bigger deal in a smaller town. And maybe that has. And I bet in downtown, if you have a tavern or a restaurant in downtown and people are coming into town, say 5,000 people to go to a Aqua Sox game, yeah, you're seeing some benefit from that. No, this is also people not spending their money on something else. So let's setting that aside, I still don't like the idea of the city doing this. I think that the city Get a group of people in who actually want to be investors. I didn't hear the team owners weigh in on this one. Why are they not in the story and why are they not talking about spending their own money given that they own this team? They don't own the stadium. That, that's part of the reason. Uh, all the minor league ballparks in the state of Washington are publicly owned, including Memorial Stadium up there. Oh, uh, it's also that debate. Yes, it's also used for uh, you know the Everett School District for athletic events. I think 
I could make an economic argument or I could attempt to for why this is going to be at least revenue neutral, if not revenue positive for Everett in the long run. But there's a there's a really uh, undercovered element of the story on where the money is coming from. So after Major League Baseball decided we are going to demand stadium upgrades for every minor league ballpark in the country, Washington state lawmakers on a bipartisan basis took forty two million dollars from a children's youth athletic field improvement fund, and they're distributing it to cities around the state, including Spokane, including Everett, including Pasco, I believe Walla Walla as well, Bellingham, to build minor league ballparks to MLB's new standards. And I thought we had decided back in, oh, I don't know, when the Sonics left, that we weren't going to do this anymore. But it's happening right now, and it's happening all over the state. Well, and I think it's just the the revenue is it's too hard well, to wean yourself so, so, from the revenue that can be generated. I, I'm just wondering though because you are also in a unique position as a business owner who benefits from a state of well, a uh, uh, former key arena, but a uh, climate pledge arena, right? Climate I mean, pledge. Yes. What, what what is what is the great differentiating the factor with climate I, pledge? Private. Private money. Yes. Private money. Private money. Let me say it again. Private money. And and so to your point uh, about this being a pub, uh, they're all publicly owned stadiums and that can be used. Well, then fair enough. I don't mind. I don't mind there being a split if it is a genuine like if the, if this stadium is available and this one has been the stadium is available. And remember, one of the options here is just to improve the existing one. Right. Yep. Much less expensive. But let's set it aside. If it is a partnership, I'm still not hearing partnership. What I'm hearing is the city spending 100 percent on this thing. I'm not a fan. I don't I don't believe that that's what cities should be in the business of doing. And even if that is the old model, it should not be the model moving forward. Well, and then on top of everything else, businesses that need to be cleared to make yeah, way I mean, for this, if they too, can relocate the businesses else. and build a new re- and give them some sort of like two year, you know, uh, rent uh discount in new in new space I mean, you could actually make make those things work for those businesses i'm guessing unless they have very very site specific uh requirements on what their business is you can make that kind of stuff work and provide grants and whatnot so i'm i am worried about that as long as they make those businesses whole but what i really still don't like is the public money being spent on something that's going to benefit it almost largely benefit a private enterprise mm. not my fa- i'm not a fan I, I think you made great points okay still Still ahead, we do scenarios and solve other people's problems. This is the G and Ursula Show. Scenarios is brought to you by 1-800-DUI-AWAY. This is the G and Ursula show, and every time uh, of the day, well, every time it's uh, 1047, this is the time when we try to solve other people's problems, so we are going to do scenarios. Here we go, yo. Here we go, yo. So what, so what, so what's the scenario? This is from uh, the New York Times ethicist column. My 90-year-old father and my younger brother are estranged. I'm on good terms with both of them. I've agreed to serve as the executor of my father's will. I've seen it. And it cuts out my brother. 
I don't know if my brother is aware of this, and I hesitate to bring it up with him for fear of adding more hurt feelings to an already tender situation. I am considering, when the time arrives, giving half of my inheritance to my brother without telling him of his exclusion from the will, sparing him any additional hurt feelings. Would this be ethical, or does the need for truth override my plan? To be clear, I wouldn't lie. This would be more misdirection by omission. Hey, Mike. You know what? We're going to switch things up today. Thank you. You're starting. Me? You? Uh-huh. I think I usually start, right? I mean, Ursula is no. famous for like dumping things onto my lap and allowing yourself to respond. So, so I suggest Ursula go first on this one. No, no, no. Fight, See, fight, you're thinking usually she starts with me and everyone else gets a chance to formulate their thoughts. So then you front loaded yeah. on me because you're angry at G. <laughs> All right, I'll talk. No, I'm not. So, so I would say that that uh, one. Um, I think it's very generous of him to worry about that. I don't know what the estrangement was about, and if that factors in, that's probably something we're setting aside since it's not described, right? They don't say what the estrangement was over. Yeah. So, I mean, if it was like criminal activity or something like that, maybe you honor the will. But I would say that that I would tell the person, I'd probably tell the person after mm-hmm. the, the father passed away, uh, because you don't want to like tear open a, an old an old wound. But I would tell the person just because if this person wants to see at some point ask, I'd like to see the will just because they're worried that maybe something they may have sensed that they're getting carved out in some way and they see it and they see that they weren't in it at all. They're going to find out and then you're going to be have lied to them, even though you're lying for what you ostensibly think is a good thing. I think that cutting them in is a great idea. I think lying about it is a bad idea. But I would I would save the truth for post so that you're not creating a new family, a new a revisiting of an old family fight. Okay, so dad is still alive right now. Yes. Okay, the mediator in me would try to plead to both parties to try to resolve their differences. Mm. So that would be the first thing that I would do. And already knowing that brother is cut out. And I think that it, it, it shows what a generous person and uh, an, an empathetic person that the, the brother is who's thinking of taking away his uh, some of the money that would be bequeathed to him to yeah. give the brother to spare that whole thing. And I think that's great. But I would try everything that I could just to appeal to dad. What if, that, what if dad and, is and so if angry if that he rewrites the will as a result of your appeal? Rewrites and writes you out. Whatever, or or limits the way the money well, can be spent okay, legally don't or something change like that. Their behavior around elderly relatives because they're worried about the will. Do they? Oh, but a, funny. But a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, people in, at the end of life want to have things kind of settled. And yeah. Maybe this would be one last chance to appeal. And you know what? It's entirely possible that it doesn't work. And um, then in that case. I would be honest about what is in the will, and I would, again, try to be very sympathetic. You know, this is unfortunate. This is what... And then that wouldn't bar him from st- not giving the brother... You know what I mean? I mean, he could still I give don't know. The, brother the, brother, the, the brother. If the brother doesn't know this, it like, like letting him marinate in this much anger and bile from dad over a period of time that maybe you can't solve doesn't seem to me to be productive. I mean, this is obviously a serious fight. Why? Why open it up? I mean, if you're if the if yep. the net result is this person is going to be included in the will and you have the power to do that, I think that's awesome. Do it, and tell them later so they know that whenever if they actually see this document, that they will know that that this was not that you did them a favor, but that this is what you were facing, 
prior, I don't want. I don't think it's fair. Let's make it whole. But that's what like, I mean. Like, so, yeah, but but yeah. opening up that fight while the dad is still alive seems to me like potentially cat. Not, like that's not going to benefit anyone. Mike's worried about anyone. endangering his own check. No, no, that's not at all what I'm. What I'm worried okay. about is like is like complete. This this well, is he, obviously he, he, a fairly serious fight, well, right? Well, not necessarily because I also know, and I have a very big family, and there are people who are fighting who have no idea. They can't even remember what it is, but they are still not. They're they're they stop talking to each other. And sometimes it helps to have someone who does want to mediate. But and you, you know what? If have, you can't, saw, have you solved these? Has your family solved these problems? Uh, actually, in some cases, yes. Um, and then and then the other part is, uh, I just went through this with my mom's passing. She did write a will and it, because my son and I invested in the house that, that we helped her purchase, which wouldn't mm-hmm. have been possible. And she had promised. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't matter to us. We just wanted her to be able to, to live there. house, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, but she said, Ursula, because of all of the different laws in the Philippines, I'm going to write a will that specifically says this house is yours and Stevens. Right. Um, because it may come up in court. It may. And, and, and you're not citizens. And so uh, we're not citizens. Uh, yeah. And it uh, could just be. My family's you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. So, yeah. So she had the force to to come up with that and I wanted to assure my sisters this has nothing to do with her feelings about you this has purely to do with you know the, the financial situation that she knew we were going to be in eventually sounds kind of different than the scenario it, it, yes just, it is it yeah. is but uh again I'm also going to say that I think that there are ways you can smooth things out or you can at least attempt to that would be my tr- fair enough fair enough hmm. what about I, you? I don't know for myself I probably wouldn't give my brother half anyways. That guy's doing fine. He's doing great. He lives in Spokane with his family. They're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Me, on the other hand... We've had the discussion about affording a house here in Seattle. (laughs) Nick, what do you got, buddy? Well, Mike brings up a good point. There's no details on why the guy isn't included on the estate in the first place. But on the other hand, once the money is in the hands of the beneficiaries, it's up to them that they want to do with it. Everything else is just frowned upon or just scoffed at, but totally legal. And I feel like they can share the pot at their discretion if they want to. And I would just say, for the benefit of my own mind, I like to think he was shorthanded in the in the whole will, and maybe they're just doing him justice. How about that? You know, great wisdom there. It Nick. would be it would be nice to know what the history. I mean, what if it, the person is, you know, uh, came out and is gay and is car- that's happened to people who've been carved out of the family will as a I result. I mean, I mean there's, there's all a lot kinds of, stuff of reasons that, we don't know. that you're not going to be able to negotiate away. Yes, that, that is true. <laughs> right. Brent Belfair texted in and said, "Once it's yours, it's yours to give. No, no more said." Uh, and I agree. Yeah, there you go. Okay, still ahead. Agree to disagree. This is the GNR Slush Show.